This, uh, this uh, next parable in our series tonight is, I think it's a, a tricky little parable, uh, so it would be really helpful to you and to me if you have it open in front of you. Page 1050. Uh, well, I'm sure it's the question many of you are asking. What will we do with the spare £5,000 we've got in the bank? Actually, in full, would that may well be a question some of you are asking. And, and why not? I mean, you want to get the most from your money, don't you? Uh, so if you're looking for suggestions, let me give you one. Romanian property. Apparently, it's where the keen investor is looking. Uh, I've checked the facts. Romania has applied to join the EU. In the past, countries uh, who have applied to join have seen their property prices rise considerably. People who watch these things are predicting massive regeneration and infrastructural investment, which should supply property investors with a massive return. At the moment, a house to renovate in the Romanian countryside can be had for as little as £5,000, so that's your money. And some are predicting a return on investment of 414%. So that's not bad. Now look, it's just a suggestion, it's your money. I, I'm not responsible for how you spend it and I don't really want to be. I actually got those uh, facts from the Channel 4 programme, A Place in the Sun. I don't know if you watched that. The show helps people buy property abroad. I don't really know that much about investing money. Uh, but it's amazing how much knowledge there is out there. And it would seem to be uh, more and more people are becoming very astute, even shrewd, when it comes to investing for the future. And that is the kind of thing Jesus draws our attention to in this latest parable. I have to say, I thought Paul was going to be doing this one, so I was looking forward to hearing it explained. But here we go, we'll look at it together tonight. He'll enjoy his holiday and come back for another one later on. But here we are at the beginning of chapter 16. Uh, You remember last week, uh, Paul was... uh, telling us Jesus was speaking the parable of the lost sheep and he was speaking specifically there really to the, to the Pharisees who were grumbling and complaining. Here at the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus is speaking specifically to those who are following him. It's his disciples. And so this parable begins, verse 1. And we meet a dishonest manager. He's been wasting his master's possessions. Uh, You can imagine the kind of thing. Stock's been disappearing. The master finds out. He calls the manager to account, verse 2, and he tells him, well, you're fired. Uh, You're no longer going to be uh, the manager. Get get your stuff in order and then you'll be out. His future's certain. Within a day or two, he'll be out on his ear, P45 in hand, and no redundancy package. It's not harsh treatment. The manager's been dishonest. But while he's dishonest, he's certainly not daft, is he? Verse 3. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And, well, we read what he does in verses 5 to 7. He calls in all of his master's debtors. And he slashes their bills. He reduces what they owe in a most generous fashion. I know there's some debate in the commentaries if you you read them as to what he's doing. Is he effectively just stealing from his master again? Or is he cutting the interest that as a manager he was responsible for setting? 
How is he perhaps just removing his own managerial commission? Oh, you can see what you think. I I don't think he's being dishonest this time. Uh, But whatever it is, the point is, he's generous in a way that's advantageous for his future. Now, the master hears, and in verse 8, we read these words. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. I know some of you might be worried. Is Jesus really commending the financially dishonest? Is the lesson from this, well, steal from your employers? Start bringing home the post-it notes and the pens. Start overcharging on the expenses. Or, or if you're at school next uh, term after this summer, if you're at school and you help with the tuck shop, help yourself to uh, the petty cash and a few extra sweets. And don't worry. Jesus commends it. It's acting shrewdly. It's sharp thinking. It's wise planning. It's good financial management. Well, not a bit of it. I take the post-it notes back on Monday. I replace the pens. Redo your expenses. Leave the sweets unopened. At the point of this parable is in the second half of verse 8. Just have a look at it. Uh, Jesus says these words, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What Jesus seems to be saying is, Well, the people of this world think they know how life works and what the future holds. And from that basis, they do really act shrewdly. Uh, You know what I mean. Uh, The friends who are making lots of money. Uh, They're buying property. They're investing for pensions. They move jobs at just the right time. Uh, They're really good at all that kind of stuff. Christians, on the other hand, that's the people of the light. Well, they actually really have been told how life works. And they do know what the future holds. The lights have been switched on. But by the way they live, you'd almost think they got their eyes closed. Now, the future's not affecting the way they live at all. Don't get this wrong, Jesus is not saying to his followers, to his disciples, just be like the people of the world. No, he's saying, learn from the way people who are not Christians act wisely and shrewdly with temporary things. And apply that same shrewdness in light of eternal things. And don't mishear me, it's not necessarily wrong to buy property now or invest your finances sensibly now or or make a shrewd change of jobs now. But you do understand, don't you? When this life is over, your bricks and mortar will not house you. You'll need something else. And when this life is over, pounds and dollars won't have a favourable exchange rate. Uh, you'll need a different currency. When this life is over, you'll be faced with only one master who can provide satisfying employment for eternity and you'll want him to like your CV. Verse 8, the people of this world are more shrewd, much more shrewd, in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. If you're really a disciple... If you really understand what God is doing, then live this life shrewdly in light of the future. 
Oh, that's the point of the parable. So Jesus now goes on to give us some applications, and they all seem to involve our dealings with money. Uh, So what does shrewd Christian living look like? Oh, here's the first thing. Use money generously. Show you'll be at home with God. I use money generously. Show you'll be at home with God. Verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. If you've been to fancy restaurants, which I assume many of you, probably most of you have been, you'll know kind of how I feel about this verse. You know when you go and in front of you is more cutlery than you've ever seen in your life, especially if you're a student. Um, More cutlery than you've ever seen in your life and a table full of glasses that you think would would fill your cabinet at home Uh, and you just don't quite know where to begin with them all. Well, that's how I feel anyway. Which fork do we use first of all? I feel kind of like that trying to explain this verse. I'm not quite sure where to begin. It's quite a short verse, but there's, there's a lot here. So please concentrate for a moment. Just, just have a look at it as, as we think about this one verse. And did you notice, Jesus gives us a contrast between eternal things and temporary things. A, a contrast between things that last forever and things that won't. So there are eternal dwellings that he talks about at the end. A place that really will last. And money, about which Jesus can say, when it is gone. See, money will one day be gone. It's temporary, says Jesus. You, you know that squirty cream you get? You, know, you get it in the supermarkets, in the fridges, the, the cream that, it's not out of a tub, you squirt it out. It's, it's great fun putting it on your pudding, your jelly, or whatever it is you, you want to put it on. You, you squirt it out, great fun, but it, it doesn't last, does it? You leave it five minutes and it's dissolved. There's nothing to it. You want to make the most of it while you can. That's my advice with squirty cream. Jesus says, money is a little bit like that. It's temporary. So make the most of it. But there is a way to use it that will have eternal significance. Now that's a shrewd investment, isn't it? Spend now, relish the benefits forever. He talks, doesn't he, about gaining friends that will lead to you being welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's a little parallel with the manager in our parable. All through these past few weeks, if you've been coming along as we've looked at parables, we've seen again and again that it's God through Jesus who is doing that welcoming into eternal dwellings. And notice also here that Jesus calls money worldly wealth. He doesn't just talk about money here, he talks about worldly wealth. And the word for worldly is more like unrighteous. Unrighteous wealth. Wealth that is opposed to God. And what does he mean? Well, in this world, money seems to have a strange effect on us. Very often, no matter how much we've got, we want more for ourselves. We become greedy and selfish. It's not really the money, it's, it's just how our sinful hearts work. They love to repeat the phrase, it's mine. And money often leads us to live in a way that is unrighteous, it it opposes God, is selfish, and is actually very foolish because money won't last. When Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends so you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings, this isn't about buying your way into heaven. 
He's told us over the past few weeks that's a free gift that God gives to anyone who trusts Jesus. But he is saying to disciples, remember, if you really do trust me, it should be seen in the way you live. In this life, use money generously to show that you're friends with God, that you're not opposed to him, that you're investing in things that will last, that eternal dwellings are where you want to be welcomed. I say, don't be foolish. Make the most of your money. Use it to show that you're at home with God. I think there are encouragements for us as a church family. See, the gift day we had recently, people, you have been generous. We've continued to give to Christian work. That's, That's not to be smug or arrogant. We know in the area we live, we have plenty of resources and we've got plenty to give, but neither should we fail to recognize genuine discipleship expressed in generous giving. That giving was a shrewd investment and Jesus commends you for it. I can also think about one of the many families who host a youth discipleship group in their home each week. And the girls who attend, who say, we we love coming here. You make us feel like your home is our home as well. See, what a shrewd investment. To be generous with something as temporary as your home, to provide a place to invest in young women in the hope that they will enjoy eternity with Jesus. That's a shrewd investment, isn't it? Do you sometimes worry that because your home is being used maybe for church stuff, it's, it's never quite as nice as some of your friends' houses? So be encouraged. Don't you know in the big scheme it's as temporary as squirty cream? Be shrewd with money and resources. Keep using them generously to serve God. Here's the second thing in verses 10 to 13. And if the first one was use money generously, the second one is, is use money responsibly. And show God you're trustworthy. Shrewdness is again in view, living with a future in mind. And do you see in these verses, 10 to 13, do you see what Jesus assumes about the future? See what he assumes about the, the future in verse 11. As you just scan through that, someone's considering entrusting you with true riches. And just scan through verse 12. Because someone's considering giving you property of your own. And the context seems to suggest God's future kingdom when he will share out true riches and responsibility. And we're told how he assesses who they will be given to in the life to come. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. You listen to Jesus' words and they're like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and as you put them together, they start to build up a picture of character and God and life now and the life to come. Character, according to Jesus, character is character. And what you see is, is what you get. What you really like shows itself in the little things. 
as much as the big things. How you treat little things is actually what your character is like, and it will show itself in just the same way as the big things. And God, well, as Jesus describes him, he's not some kind of tyrant wanting to keep things from us. Quite the contrary. God is very generous. God has designed life with the intention of making you truly rich, sharing responsibility with you in the life to come. He's not a tyrant hoarding everything for himself. He wants to share it out. And life now, well, whatever we've got, Jesus says, the, the, the little things, whether you think of yourselves as very wealthy or, or very poor, all those things are, are the little things. And you understand from what Jesus is saying, they've been given to you on trust. A Christian, whatever you've got in this life has been entrusted to you by God. And he's watching to see if you're trustworthy. His concern is that your character develops. It's not the only way we'll see it, but how you handle money it seems to be one way God assesses character. And you might think, well, I'm only a teenager. I I only get an allowance. I have not got much to use. Well, it's not how much you've got. It's your character. Are you becoming trustworthy? How do you use the resources God gives you? Does your money all get spent on you? When was the last time you thought seriously about using your little amount to serve Christians in some way? Offer to pay something towards the youth house party for a friend who can't afford it. Start saving £2 a week in order to give £100 to something at the end of the year. And if character is the issue, then it could also be true that week by week, you're actually the biggest giver here. You'll be somebody older and perhaps you £500 every week you give you is by far the biggest giver. But the thing is, you hardly notice that. And the rest of your wealth is wasted on you. And God looks at you and the teenager, and it's not your money he notices, it's your character. Or there might be some of you here tonight, and you might not like the situation you're in. Single income, having to make decisions yourself, finances are difficult, the pressures of unrighteous wealth, money that seems to want to lead you in directions you know aren't right, seem all too real. A life in those situations just feel a pressure. And it may feel like cold comfort to hear that these things, the life that you've got just now, has been entrusted to you. And that even the hard decisions you've made this week, God has used it for your good. You've been growing as a trustworthy disciple in this life. That might seem like cold comfort, but it... It doesn't feel like cold comfort, does it? And when you think of the life to come, and the Lord saying to you in his new creation, let's go for a walk. You think of that after this life is over, and you meet with the Lord, and he draws alongside you, and he takes you for a walk, and he, he talks to you about your life. And he chats through some of the things that have happened to you, some of the tough things you went through. And as he's describing them, His spin on them astounds you. And you start to see how in his grace some of those things have made you the person you are. 
And then he says, now, I've got some plans I want to tell you about a project I'd like you to head up. It's a little challenging, but I think you'd be great at it, and I'm sure you'll love it. And the Lord, who's watched your character develop in the little things, loves you. And he likes your CV in the life to come. It's quite a thought, isn't it? As you work your way through tough things in this life. Again, I do think there are reasons for encouragement as a church family. I don't particularly like uh, committee meetings. I have to sit on the PCC as part of my job, the the group that makes decisions about our church, including the finances. At one PCC meeting, uh, we discussed some building work. And there was a comment that if we were private individuals, the work would have been done a long time ago. Committees always seem to take more time to do anything, don't they? But I remember one PCC member saying, it's often good, though, that we take a bit more time because we're not spending private money it's money the church family have given and it's God's money and we're entrusted with spending it responsibly now again I don't want to be smug we certainly don't do everything right but the the PCC do spend the money you give aren't you encouraged to have PCC members who want to show themselves trustworthy well Jesus commends them for it or I think of Christian friends who've deliberately not bought the biggest house they could afford so that they wouldn't need two incomes to pay the mortgage. That way, if they needed to serve the church in some specific way, they could live on one income, free one of them to serve, and still meet their bills. That's a shrewd use of money in light of eternity. Aiming to use their resources, not just for their own comfort, but in a way that acknowledges they are given on trust. You might not be able to buy a house at all. But don't you want to start being shrewd like that? Thinking that way about your resources and your money and how you spend it. Use money responsibly. Show God you're trustworthy. He's looking to see your character develop. So here's Jesus' last application in verse 13. And it's this. Choose to serve God. Show money who you love. Have you heard about the Scotsman who dropped 10 pence? He was down so fast to pick it up, it hit him on the back of the head. <laughs> I always drop things. The back of my head's agony. Um, but it's not just the Scots, is it? It's not just Scottish people, no matter what you think. For many, it's money that makes them jump. You see what Jesus says in verse 13? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He speaks of money, doesn't he, like it's a person. And he tells us we have a choice to make. You cannot serve both God and money. See, if we start to serve money, it will capture our affections. Jesus says we'll love it will be devoted to it. And Jesus says it will eventually make you hate God. So if you're a disciple, if you're someone who's decided to follow Jesus, you need to choose to serve God. See, again, I think there's real encouragement for us here in Jesus' words because Jesus has been telling us the kind of master God is. 
He's not mean. He's not anti-money. He's not tight-fisted or against spending. He's all for spending money. But he wants you to learn to use money and not to be mastered by it selfishly. He wants us to spend it in ways that are generous and responsible and shrewd. Doesn't that sound good? And when this life is over and your money is all spent up, you will have something to show for it. If God is your master, you will use money well, but will hate it when it tries to capture our affections. And choose to serve God. Show money who you love. I imagine you can hear money trying to capture affections all over Fullwood. You hear the voice saying, if you kept hold of more of me, you'd be able to buy more of this for yourself. Uh, The bigger house, uh, the bigger car, the holiday. Uh, Have you been hearing that voice? Hate money when you hear that. And money's not to be your master. You're to use money. Choose to serve God. Show money who you love. Be deliberate in being generous and responsible. When Jesus began speaking, he was talking to those who were following him, but listening in alongside the true disciples, there are the religious hypocrites in verse 14. They're almost a little bit like a case study if you look at them. You see them, the Pharisees? The Pharisees, Jesus says, or were told about who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. It's a reminder, isn't it? It's a reminder that generosity doesn't flow from the wallet. It flows from the heart where God looks. And it flows from a heart that looks humbly to God. It is possible to be religious and to be far away from God. It is possible to give money like the Pharisees did and not to be generous at all. What was it we heard from Proverbs? I don't eat the food of a stingy man, for he's the kind of man who is always thinking about cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Look, we, we took our offering before the sermon tonight because we wouldn't want any of us to hear Jesus' words and think it's merely about giving more money. Jesus isn't after our wallets. He's after our hearts. And Jesus isn't trying to get our money from us. He wants to set us free to use all that he gives us so that in serving him, We'll use money generously and responsibly. Uh, So what are you going to invest in? Properties in the Romanian countryside? It could be a good move for you. But what is always a shrewd move is to sit down and think, how am I using this money to serve God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please forgive us if we're not as shrewd as we should be. 
Uh, please help us to learn lessons from the world around us who, who seem to plan for their future very well uh, and don't really know what the future holds. Uh, please would you help us to understand the future and to live in light of that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we'll do